Good afternoon. In this COVID season, we find ourselves having to do our best to be as creative as possible, especially in times like this when someone we so dearly love, we seek to gather together and to remember uh, his life and to be mindful of God's presence and to be connected with those who can't be here. Uh, as is the case today, uh, as we continue down the path of COVID, we are seeking to be as creative as possible in our effort to connect. And you'll experience in this service a participation by member of, members of Fred and Linda's family as uh, they participate with us in singing and as we connect with each other through this time together. Not only a family, but I know many friends are, are here with us today via our live stream. So we are grateful for the technology that allows us to do these things and thankful that we can be together, if not in body, certainly in spirit as we seek to celebrate this great life well lived and give thanks for the resurrection. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. For God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. For as a father has mercy upon his children, so the Lord has mercy upon those who fear him. And as a mother comforts her child, so the Lord will comfort you. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord, those who believe in me, though they were dead, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Let us begin our worship as we listen to this beautiful hymn sung by Roxanne Curtis, one of Fred and Linda's children. I love to tell the Like the rest 
love you, Dad. Let us pray. Eternal God, your love for us is everlasting, and you alone can turn the shadow of death into the brightness of the morning light. Help us then in these moments to turn to you with believing hearts, and in the stillness of this hour, speak to us of eternal things, so that hearing the promises of Scripture, we may have hope and be lifted above our distress into the light and peace of your presence. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We gather this afternoon for lots of different reasons. We come, first of all, to express our sorrow. It was Phyllis Brooks who once said, we do not want to lose our grief because our grief is bound up with our love and we could not cease to mourn without being robbed of our affections. And so we're here to express our sorrow for one whom we've loved and who with such a presence in our life is no longer here. We're also here to receive comfort. The words of God's promises are read and family is present and friends and those who shared our love of Fred. We are in the midst of that communion and we receive comfort by the Holy Spirit. We're also here to give thanks for all good gifts come to us from the hands of a gracious God and we give thanks today for this wonderful life so well lived and rejoice that God has loved us to give us such a person as Fred Marsh. And then perhaps most of all, we're here to rejoice because the promise of the gospel is that life does not end with death, that in Jesus Christ, we are assured of life eternal. And so we rejoice to know that our, our friend and husband and father and grandfather is now gone to discover that peace which passes all understanding. Thanks be to God. So let's hear the words of Holy Scripture that through them we may be reminded of God's faithfulness, we might sense God's comfort, and we might be assured of the gift of eternal life. First, from the letter of Paul to the Romans, the eighth chapter, beginning at the 31st verse. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? And who shall bring any charge against God's elected as God who justifies, who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus, who died, yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us? And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to celebrate, uh, separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then these words that come to us from John chapter 14, the words of Jesus the night before his own death, when he says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. And then these words from the book of Revelation, this great picture of the heavenly city. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with people. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Now I'd like to invite uh, Zachary and Donis and Courtney and Mark to come forward. Zachary will be reading to us from Psalm 121, and then Donis and Courtney and Mark will be sharing some remembrances of this dear man. Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that kept thee will not slumber. Behold, he that kept Israel shall not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon the right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil, he shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Thank you. If you need anything this week, sister, give me a call. For the last 19 years, I've lived in Florida. Of course, Sunday is my favorite day. I'm going to come to church with Pastor Steve. I'm going to visit all my family in Sarasota. And it's a blessing that I can be with the ones I love. Fred is my only brother, and I love him so much. I can't tell you all the good times we've had. When we spend our Sundays together, for the last few years, I would get up very early on Sunday morning, take the dog for a walk, come back, and while Dixie's eating breakfast, I'd put on my best Sunday clothes, and we take out from Inglewood to Sarasota. I knew as soon as I turned onto Freddie's street and turned into his driveway, he would be sitting in the garage with the door open, reading the Sunday paper, and I think watching for me too. We had just enough time to have a quick cup of coffee with Linda before we headed to church. When we got here, the last few years, Fred had picked out the balcony to sit, and that was fine with us. He could see his family walk in, and his grandkids would head for that pew. Fred's eyes would light up. He was so happy to be in church and so happy to have all of his family together. After a very good sermon, Pastor Steve, Fred took us all out for lunch 
and then back to his house for the afternoon. His house in Linda's house. We usually watched some football, baseball, or maybe just enjoyed the grandkids. And it didn't finish there. Right before it was time for me to head back to Inglewood, Fred's daughter and Paul would call. And you knew it was about time for the phone to ring because Fred would hold the cell phone in his hand to make sure he got to talk first. After we had a good conversation, Fred would walk me back to my car, put Dixie in the back seat, and then he would look at me and say, Sister, if you need anything this week, give me a call. He loved me, and I loved him. And it began when I was a little bitty thing. Freddie had a horse, a horse named Tony. Freddie was five years older than me, so he did most of the riding. But Dad would walk me over, lift me up onto Tony, and I would sit right behind Fred and put my arms around him. I felt very secure, very happy, and very loved. Fred always made me feel very loved. I do love you, brother. I loved you then, and I love you now. God bless. Hi everyone. So public speaking isn't my forte, especially given the circumstances. I mean, I'm not bad, but I'm definitely not granddad. He made it seem so natural, like he was born to do it. He stood in this very spot on this stage and on stages just like this again and again and again for almost 50 years, delivering the word of God and teaching people about love and hope and faith. As a child, I remember watching him prep for his Sunday sermon for days. He would spend hours typing it out on the computer and then hours reviewing it and then hours practicing it. And at that time, I couldn't believe how he could put so much time and so much effort into something that would only last 20 minutes. And he put so much time and effort into something that not even everyone would pay attention to. And in hindsight, it's obvious. His sermon may have only lasted 20 minutes, but the lesson that each sermon taught was eternal. And it didn't matter how many people were paying attention the only thing that mattered was the one person that it touched. The one person that never forgot what my granddad said that day because those were the words that he or she needed to hear. Think about that. My grandpa inspired at least one person with his sermons every Sunday for almost 50 years. And that's not including all the other days of the week that he spent delivering the message of God the messages of love and hope and faith every single day. My granddad was the definition of a devout Christian, but honestly, it's not even about religion. He was a genuinely kind and compassionate person that just wanted to make the world a little brighter. When he passed away, I was angry. I was upset. I was confused. 
and I think we all were. I guess I thought that his death wasn't as dignified as I thought it should have been. A man who devoted his entire life to God and the greater good, it just wasn't fair. And I finally realized that it doesn't matter how he passed because the outcome would have been the same. Him sitting by the side of the Lord, happy, safe, eternal. One of his favorite scriptures, he had many, of course, was John 3.16. I remember when I was in third grade and I learned it in Bible school, we had to memorize it. And he had me reiterate it again and again. He was so proud that I knew this and I haven't forgotten it. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I never truly understood that scripture until now. My granddad is no longer here physically, but he's eternal. He'll be a part of our lives forever. We each had an individual connection with him that can never be broken. For me, my granddad will always be these three things a man of God, a family man, and a cowboy with trick ropes in one hand and a tobacco pipe in the other. <sighs> Thank you, Granddad, for getting me through this because the Lord knows I couldn't have done that by myself. I love you. Freddie Joe Marsh. Here's what I think you should know about him. He was a type A personality, and I mean capital A. He took charge in every situation that he was in. He liked to be in control, and he liked to advise you on how things should go, whether it was how to walk the dog, what you needed to do on vacation, or just anything in life. He was a powerful man. He had a powerful voice. You always knew when he was in a room because either you could hear him or there was a crowd around him. And believe me, I could hear him as a child from three or four blocks away. I think I heard Mark David every day of my life at about seven or eight o'clock every night. If I could make a map about my dad. At the center of it, in bold letters, in bright colors, would be love of God and love of his family. Those were his two core values. Everything else in life revolved around that, those two values. And there really isn't anything that illustrates it better than the last few days of his life. He was a great husband. I think you would agree, Mom, right? Best one you've had. He was a great father, but he was an even more outstanding grandfather. I think through the trials and tribulations of being with my sister and I, he learned patience and understanding. Uh, and also with grandkids, once they mess their pants or they start acting bad, you can give them back to their mom and dad. And he really loved that. But he thought about the grandkids up until the last few days of his life. His oldest grandchild, Melissa, he asked about her and what she was doing. My daughter, Courtney, he wanted to make sure that she was doing well on her tests. He talked about my son, Jacob, who's in the Navy. He was so proud that he was serving his country. And with Zachary, he told my mother that he wanted Zach to come and break him out of the hospital. He said that, tell Zach to be there in the parking lobby at dawn, and I'll meet him down there. So he knew which grandkid maybe was the honorary one and would follow through. But they were in his thoughts to the end. But here's what I think made him tick. Three things. And they all interweave with love of God and family. 
He loved work. He loved people. And he loved to talk. Mom and I often joked that he just loved to hear his voice. Just the sound of that. But he had a respect for hard work. He would learn about the life story of everybody that came to our house to do work on our house. How many times, Mom, have we heard the plumber's life story, right? Or the roofer's life story, or the guy that mows the yard's life story. He respected the folks that worked hard, and he loved to learn about their, their life, and he had even more respect for them when he would find out about their life struggles. He was the only boy of three sisters who were all his favorite. I think he got caught once in that. So he worked, he did all the hard work for his dad. He did everything that his dad asked him to do and more. He had so much respect for his dad because of the hard work. Even when my dad got out of the army, he, would, he worked as a postman, walked all day long, and then he plowed the fields for his father because that's what his dad asked him to do. And that's what you did when your dad asked you to do something. You didn't question it, you did it. I, uh, my bedroom was in the basement of the house. And invariably, every Saturday morning, about 7.30, my dad would come lumbering down the stairs. And he always, he had several phrases. He would come down the stairs, work, work, work. A good day's work. Sun up to sundown. When the sun comes up over that ridge, I want to be there, working hard. And many times we did. I used to tell him that, uh, as a minister, Dad, aren't you supposed to comfort the afflicted? I said, right now, you're afflicting the comfortable. And what he liked even more than working was supervising somebody who was working. He loved to watch me work. He had a special chair, and he would pull it up and take it everywhere that I worked. He would have me move dirt from one area to another, not because it needed to be done, but it kept me busy. We restacked hay when there was no reason to restack hay. I painted everything that he owned. Even the dog. That was by accident. <clears throat> he didn't really have a lot of hobbies. Working for the church, for the people, wasn't a job for him because he loved to do it. And so he really didn't have a lot of hobbies. We tried, when I was in my 20s, we tried to play golf together. And again, my dad's a type A personality. He, golfing takes a long time. so. If you've ever seen polo, that's how my dad plays golf. The ball barely stops and he's ready to hit it again. So you don't aim, you just shoot. Somebody asked me one time, hey, what's your dad's handicap? And I said, well, golf is his handicap. He wasn't good with his hands either. He wasn't a carpenter, he wasn't a handyman. Uh, you know, most people say you measure twice and cut once. Um, he said, let's eyeball it and we'll just do our best. We built a, what's called a lean-to for the horses one time. And it really was a lean-to. There wasn't a square corner in that little barn. But we did it together. And I still have the scars to prove it. He did love horses. Courtney had a horse most of her young life. Um, I had horses, and it wasn't so much the fact that he loved horses, but you know what goes with horses? There's a lot of work, right, Jim? A lot of work with horses. So that's another excuse to not only have a hobby, but now we've got something to do together. We can paint that barn that the horses go in. We can move the hay six or seven times. We can do a lot of things work-related to horses. Oh, and I guess you can ride them, too. He loved people, and as a minister, that was probably one of his best qualities, were his people skills, and his preaching, probably one and one A on a list. 
because he made people feel comfortable. He made them feel special. And it wasn't difficult for him. He asked questions. And it was because he was interested. He had a list of things. I mean, he would, had a go-to. He was, oh, where are you from? Love to know where you're from. What do you do for a living? Where's your family from originally? Because he wanted to know. Because mom and I were going to hear about it later at dinner, weren't we? We knew everything about everybody. But he was generally interested in them as a person. And people knew that. I was a business major, finance. I went to a lot of sales seminars, and they tried to teach you how to develop relationships with people. But you can spot the phonies, and you can spot the people that are just trying to sell you something. He was genuine. He could have been a great salesman. And he was in a way. He was teaching about God's love. He was selling that. And people believed because he believed. That was his life. God and his family were his life. On Sunday, at the end of the service, he would, at our church in Davenport, people would come down if they were going to join the church, come down to the first row. And he would reaffirm their faith. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God and Savior? We're so glad to have you in this church. And one time, we had a young couple that came forward, and he knew all about them. So he introduced them to the church and told them where they worked, who their family was, their life story, where they went to college. And he gushed over the young lady. We're so glad to have you as part of our church. And then he turned to the man, big strapping man, and he said, and you know what? We always need another John in our church. Later at lunch, I gave him so much heck for that. I said, Dad, how many bathrooms does a church need? He was a talker. Preaching was something that he was fantastic at. He preached for 50 years about God's love. 50 years of sermons about how God loves you, how you fit into this picture, how special you are in God's eyes. He was a powerful speaker. He didn't need a mic. He always told me, you preach to the back of the, of the room. But he didn't need a mic to do that. He was very animated. He used his hands a lot. And I think he did that to try to keep people awake. If you start pointing at people, then uh, what did I do? But very animated, very interesting to listen to. He told stories. A lot of times he told stories about my sister. He would use her in the stories. When the grandkids came along, they were part of his stories. I realized as a teenager that even as good a storyteller as he was, he couldn't use me as the material and make it work in a sermon. There was a lady in church, that good friend of his, that said, Reverend Marsh, there's a hint of truth in everything you say. And after my after my first New Testament class in college, I told him, I said, Dad, you know what? When you tell a story, it's apocryphal. I know there's some truth in it. You just have to get to it. And he would say, well, son, there's a beginning of the story. There's the end of the story. And in between is all the fun you have getting there. A lot of times he would include jokes in his sermons. And I would wait for those. He would always do the joke about in the middle because sometimes people start to get a little antsy towards the middle. They start looking at their watch. Now they look at their cell phones. So he'd hit them with a zinger in the middle to keep them awake. And then he'd do the fire and brimstone at the end for the closing. He always told me, 12 to 15 minutes. That's about as long as you need for a sermon. He's like, I want to give them a morsel. I don't want to give them a seven-course dinner. I want them to come back wanting more. And then he also said, and we got to beat those Methodists to the buffet. He taught me how to communicate, and I didn't realize he was doing it. When I was a kid, we'd have these evening sessions, 
down in the basement. We'd always do a little workout first. And if you knew my dad, you knew he really wasn't an athlete. But we did his little calisthenics and the jumping and all the other things. But then we read from the Bible. We read John 3.16. We read Psalm 121, which is one of his favorites. We memorized and we would speak out loud. And he would tell me how I needed to project my voice. He would tell me that I needed to look to the back of the room. He taught me a lot. And I didn't even realize he was teaching me. Because if I would have known he was teaching me something, I probably wouldn't have wanted to do it. One of his famous lines was, sit down here a minute, I want to talk to you. When we moved to Florida, mom didn't let him smoke in the house anymore, so he set up his little quasi office in the garage. He had a nice little workbench, he had a chair, he had a coffee table, but then he put another chair out in the garage. How many times, mom, have you heard, Linda, come out here, I want to talk to you. Son, come out here, I want to talk to you. Sometimes it was just to hear his voice, I think. But other times he had sage advice. As a teenager, it wasn't a question of coming and talking to him. It was an order. You will come and talk to me now. And I'll point out everything you did wrong. No. So he will be missed. We will all miss him. But his spirit lives on, both in us and through us because of the many people that he has touched and ministered to along the way, and by the stories and memories that we share as a family. And not a day goes by that Mom and I, or Zach and I, or even Courtney and I will say, you know, what would Granddad have thought of this? Or what would he have done during this? Or how would he have interpreted this? Or gosh, this was Granddad's favorite. We've got that with us. You know, on the news, they talk about a life well lived. Well, that's my father. It's a life well lived. He never had any regrets. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mark, Courtney, Donis, Zachary, for your sharing about this wonderful man. The family has requested a video of a wonderful song, I'll Be On My Way, so let's take a listen. When I am gone, don't you cry for me. Don't you pity my sorry soul. What pain there might have been will now be past, and my spirit will be whole. I'll be on my way. I'll be sorry soul what pain there might have been will now be past and my spirit will be whole. I'll be on my way
Don't you look for me in the places I have been. I'll be alive, but somewhere else I'll be on my way again. I'll be on my way. There's a story that I'm sure that our dear friend and father and husband and grandfather preached on many a time from Matthew chapter 25 about the master who gave to his three servants differing amounts of gifts, gave five talents to the one man and five, two talents to the one, to the next one and one talent to the third one and sent them off to use their talents. And then when the master returns, he uh, has a, a moment with each of them to settle up accounts as to how well they've done with those talents. And the five talent man has returned five talents more. The two talent man has returned two talents more. And then the one talent person chose to bury his talent in the ground and didn't use it. And if there's anything I think of when I think of this dear man, Fred Marsh, I think of that five-talent servant, uh, because Fred was a person of many talents. Uh, he is the first uh, a rodeo star turned pastor that I've ever met and may never have a chance to meet another one in my lifetime. Um, I don't think Church of the Palms uh, has had before or after a pastor who did rope tricks in while he preached on Sunday morning. And Fred was our preacher in the in the contemporary service for several years. When I arrived here, he was the he was holding court, and we we were grateful to be able to experience his great gift of preaching uh, here at Church of the Palms. And uh, he never missed a beat uh, in retirement. He was still. Quite, uh, quite a preacher, and we were grateful for that. He and I shared a love of Fred Craddock, who was a Fred's professor and, um, and was uh, one I admired from a distance, and we enjoyed sharing stories about, about his uh, relationship with Dr. Craddock. But Fred, as Mark mentioned, uh, loved people. He had a great gift with people and was able to use the great charm and love that he had to allow everybody really to feel comfortable in his presence and to know that uh, they were loved by God through somebody like Fred, uh, who would be able to pronounce that love to everybody with a voice that, as Mark said, could be heard across town. And so there was no, there was no mistake that that love was eminent from, from such a man. So we began today by listening to that wonderful hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. And um, what a wonderful song and hymn for us to think about when we think about what was at the heart of Fred Marsh, whether it began in that uh, early days when he started teaching that little 20-member men's Bible study that grew to 100 and probably far beyond that because um, not only because of Fred's great gifts in terms of his speaking skills and his great passion for people, but simply because he loved to tell the story, that that's really what his life was all about, and he was very grateful always to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit and to allow God to speak through him such that others would get to hear that great, great story. 
Uh, and so at the end of that great story in Matthew 20, uh, chapter 25, uh, the uh, master invites the first two servants, the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant, into, uh, into the joy of the master. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master, is what he says. And you know, I think uh, Fred entered into the joy of the master a long, long time ago, and he was one who reflected that joy everywhere he went and is one now that gets to experience that joy in its fullness as he has come, uh, as having been trustworthy over a few things, now God has put him in charge of many things. And he has ultimately begun to experience that great peace which passes all understanding and that joy that fills his heart and will fill our hearts one day as we come together. The world's not going to be right if I can't look up to that first pew in the balcony and see Fred and his family all lined up there. Uh, the sanctuary always felt a little out of kilter when you guys weren't there, and I know all of you will be returning someday after COVID is over, but we'll certainly feel that very, very certain absence uh, with our friend no longer here. But praise the good Lord that he has been, he has done well with his life and that he has been a good and faithful servant, and that he is now entering into the joy of his master. Praise God from whom and to whom all blessings flow. Let us pray. O God, our Father, from whom we come and unto whom we return, and in whom we live and move and have our being, we praise you for your good gift of life, for its wonder and mystery, its friendships. We give thanks for the ties that bind us to each other and for your loving and patient dealings with us and for the meaning that lies hidden even in the heart of sorrow and for your guiding hand along the way of our pilgrimage. We give thanks for this your servant, Fred Marsh, that made others and all that made, and recalling all in him that made others love him. And we're grateful for the good and gracious influences in his home and for all who ministered to his best life. And we thank you for the goodness and truth that have passed from his life into the lives of others and have made the world richer for his presence. We bless your name for the revelation of yourself and of your love in our Lord Jesus Christ and for the hope set before us in the gospel. And we thank you that deep in the human heart is an unquenchable trust that life does not end with death, but that the Father who made us will care for us even beyond the bound of vision, even as he cares for us here on this earth. We praise your name for the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, who is the source of our hope, not only today, but in all days. And we pray for the comfort of your presence and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Renew within us the gifts of faith, patience, and enduring love. And as we step out upon the world, may we sense that though we've lost one whom we've loved, we've not lost you. And that as you have received this, your child, so too will you receive us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. We'll conclude our worship by listening to yet another beautiful song and hymn sung by Melissa Curtis, one of Linda and Fred's grandchildren.
After the benediction, I will be escorting the family out to just outside the doors there where you'll have the chance to greet them after this service. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore, world without end and life without end. Amen. Mm -hmm.